0: Well, years ago when I was ministering in Texas, there was a man who began to, to visit our, our church on Sunday morning. Uh, I learned that he was a, a women's doctor um, and he had a, had a reputation for excellent medicine but also uh, for being given to, to fits of, of rage. Well, after several months of him coming, smiling and saying all the things that you're kind of supposed to do whenever you, you, you come to church... He approached me after a particular Sunday, and he said, "Uh, I was wondering if I could have a few moments with you in private. And I said, sure. So we went into a back room, and he said, "Uh, I want you to know, my name's Jim, and I'm a doctor here in town. And I've been listening to your sermons. And you could see tears come into his eyes. And he said, "I, I want you to know that over the years, I've helped many people. But I've also performed thousands of abortions. And I want you to know that I will never kill a baby again. Now I just want to be really clear, we, we think abortion is a sin and we'll preach against it at times. I had not mentioned abortion at all in the months that he had been there. It just had never come up. But God's word had been used by God's spirit and it had shown this man who God was, who Christ was. And what his his sin was. Well, Jen went on to get baptized. Uh, he went on to deliver two of our children. He became a deacon in our church. And his whole life began to change. He started taking weeks and months of uh, leave every year for medical missions where he would he would go down to deliver uh, babies and administer medical care for women in the jungles of Honduras. His reputation for anger changed to one of tenderness, and if he did get angry, quick to apologize. His greed turned to generosity. And the reason is because Dr. Jim had met Jesus and he was born again, and everything. Changed. He didn't become a perfect man, but he was not the same man as when he first came in and began to hear the good news of the gospel. Because when when you encounter the grace of Jesus, it changes you, which is what the entire book of Titus is about. This entire book is aimed from Paul to Titus to help the churches in Crete to have good doctrine about the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And that that requires good works that look like the life of Jesus. And we've come to chapter 3, verses 3 through 8 this morning as we continue our study in this book. Where we learn about the goodness of God's grace. Verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Our big idea this morning sounds similar to last week's, as this section is not Change the theme much, a little different angle. Remembering God's goodness toward us inspires good works toward others. Remembering God's goodness toward us in Christ inspires us to have good works toward others. This is what this section is, is really all about. We're gonna look at it in kind of three movements. Remember who you were, verse three. Remember what God did verses 4 through 7 and then remember how to live verse 8. First, remember who you were. And he's speaking here to Christians, people who were aware of who they used to be and how God had interrupted that. Well, Remember who you were, verse 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. The first word there in verse 3 is for, it's a connecting word. It supplies the reason for the seven commands that we spent our time looking at last week back in verses 1 and 2. If you just look there, you can see it says remind them, meaning the believers, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people for we ourselves were. So the reason that we treat others the way we do in verses 1 and 2 is because of who we used to be. We, we used to be slaves to our sin. Our lives were characterized by the, the very thing that we might even be tempted to now despise in others. Things that he lays out now in verse 3, seven characteristics of former corruption. We ourselves were once foolish. It means to be without understanding of God in God's world. This is what marks people who do not know Jesus. We lived as if we knew how to do life in this world that God made while rejecting God. God says, you may think that's smart, it looks foolish from heaven's vantage point because you don't know how to live. You just follow your heart and that doesn't lead anywhere good. It's foolishness. Our lives were marked by that. Our lives were also marked by disobedience characterized by rejecting God's ways. So not only were we foolish trying to live in God's world apart from his word, but we, we, we didn't want to listen to God. Anytime we did hear something from God's word, we'd either be like, oh, that's bigoted or hateful or who are you to control me? And we would, try to, we would push that off. We were disobedient. We, we didn't want people telling us what to do. You're not going to tell me what to do with my body. You're not going to tell me what to do with my bedroom. You're not going to tell me what to do with my money. You're not going to tell me what to do with my intellect. You're not going to tell me what to do with my life. Who are you? It may not have sounded exactly like that, but that's what was in the heart of every unbeliever. Which leads us astray, it says here. We were foolish, disobedient, led astray. The word means to to cause to wander off of a path. Jesus spoke of a broad way, that there's a narrow way that leads to life and there's a broad way that leads to destruction. We love the broad way, the way of the world, the, the, the popular way, the affirmed way, the applauded way. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures. We were owned by our body's cravings. And not everybody craved the same thing. Everybody has their own taste buds for different sorts of sins. But we all loved what the world offered to us. For some it was sex. others it was drink, drug, gambling, eating, shopping. The, the, the motto of the world, I see it, I like it, I want it, I got it. That was, that's what the world says. We love the world and the things of the world. If you were rich, you could just have it. If you were poor, you just longed to have it. This curse escapes no one. We were passing our days in malice. The word means hostility, it's a strong dislike of others. We wish ill on them. There's a, a, a deep seated detesting of others. Sometimes that's along ethnic lines. Sometimes it's along gender lines. Sometimes it's along religious lines. Sometimes it's along political lines. Whatever the lines are that our thing is, there's a detesting of people who are like that. We were envious. The word means jealousy, that that resents someone because they have what either I want and I can't have or I deserve and I'm overlooked for. We coveted houses and cars and titles and achievements and bodies and children and lives and whatever it is that other people had. Our hearts were anything but content with what God had given us. We were hated by others and hating one another. A a loveless sort of existence of conflict, except for people who were on our side and kind of affirmed us. But everybody else was hateful hardened hearts toward fellow image bearers of of God. It's a a sad portrait of of life apart from God. And and again, not everybody's life apart from Christ looks the same. But it's all this sort of posture of God will not rule over me. I'm going to do things my, my way. I love my sin and I want to hold on to it. Some of you who've been around for a while may, hear, may have heard what I'm about to read to you, but I think this is a good picture of what we're talking about here. What I'm about to read to you is a letter written by a guy who had a friend visit him at a party. This friend was a believer, and he came down and shared the gospel with this other guy, and the other guy didn't, didn't much like it, so he wrote this email back to him. This is what it said. Dude, we have to talk. It's great and all that you're Mr. Religious now, but I want you to know that I'm worried about you. I want you to be, and this is the family-friendly version, so I've edited it a bit, but I want you to be careful that you don't go overboard and start getting all weird on me. I mean, I know you're going to church, and that's a good thing, and that God is real and all that, but if you don't watch it, you're going to miss out on what life is really all about. I know you're just trying to be a good boy and all, but when you came down here and you wouldn't drink, you looked like an idiot. I mean, you were just sitting there with a cork in your mouth. What's wrong with you? I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I'm really worried about you. I know you're just preaching at me because you're my boy and all that, but but I know that I'm okay. God and I have our own little understanding. I know we get crazy now and again, but I don't think God is going to send me to hell for having a good time. I mean, he understands I'm just having a little fun. I'm not a bad person, and he knows my heart. I agree, I get a little crazy now and again, but it's, it's good for the soul, right? Well, enough of that. I'm sure you'll be back to normal soon, and we can smoke a fatty to celebrate. That's, a, that's drugs. Be a good boy and tell Jesus I said hi. I wrote that 24 years ago to my friend Dave after he came down and shared the gospel with me at a party. And the reason... It's because I didn't love Jesus. I didn't want your Jesus. I didn't like church. I thought it was all stupid. I thought it was ridiculous. And that's because I was a slave to sin. And I I loved my sin. I embodied everything on that list and many other qualities. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. Some of you here this morning. You sound a whole lot like me, what I used to sound like. Maybe you're running from God and you don't even know why you showed up here this morning. I just want you to know there's no such thing as accident or luck or chance in God's universe. Everything's on purpose, even you being here, hearing this. That path, apart from God, does not lead to life. It only steals life. Now, some of you came to know Jesus. Jesus at a young age, and you can't really remember a day when you didn't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I praise God, may there be more of that. May that be all the testimonies of all the children who are here. But I would encourage you to ask God to show you who you would have been apart from his mercy had Christ not intervened at such a young age to protect you, to know that we have all either been saved from those sins or out of those sins doesn't mean we didn't have sin. We may not have just been as aware of it or may have not have been quite as developed. But anybody who has come to know Christ is a trophy of mercy. Even if your life didn't show all of the, the fruits of rebellion, a Christian is one who sees their need for grace. And there are no small sins against a great God. But any who have come to know him I'll be moved to say, I was once this way. And that is what fuels your life now. You act in all the ways that he prescribes in verses 1 and 2, all these good deeds. It's for you remember who you were and you remember what God did for you in spite of you. He didn't treat you as you deserved, which is the second point in verses 4 through 7. Remember what God did. So remember who you were running foolishly after all of your sin. But remember what God did, verse 4. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 4 of chapter 3, the first word, but, it, it signals, just as 4 signaled an explanation, this signals a, a contrast. The, 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 the sweetest intervention imaginable. We who were seeking our sin were sought by God. We who ran from God, he ran toward us. Not to harm us, but to help us. Not to crush us, but to care for us. Not to smash us like we deserve, but to save us. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, It's this description that's used of God and his character in the Old Testament. His loyal love that shows itself in this unswerving faithfulness to his people. This unswerving commitment that he has to do good to people. Even in spite of us. It's interesting, the word loving kindness. Uh, The the Greek word is uh, philanthropia. Which we get our word, philanthropy, very good. Which, if you don't know what that means, which I'd look it up too, means uh, it means to be generous, right? It's the generous giving of yourself, the generous giving of your resources to enhance the well being of others. That's the word used to describe God's posture toward a bunch of rebels, toward a bunch of sinners who just had their. Fists up at God saying, forget you. God in the the fullness of his glory and his majesty and his splendor and his holy beauty. With the wealth of his power and his might and his splendor. He acted to generously show his goodness and his benevolence toward we who were sinners. How? How? He appeared as Savior. He he, he appeared. He came as Savior in the person of Jesus. Listen to this from Philippians 2. Though he was in the form of God, meaning he eternally existed as God, he he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, meaning he didn't hold to his rights as God, but he emptied himself. How? By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, what this is talking about here is that the, the eternal son of God said, there's some rebels who need grace. And he did not cease being God, Served, fell upon Christ. He saved us by stepping in and saying, I'll take their judgment. And then going into the grave and then doing what nobody else does when they go into the grave, he rose from the dead. He saved us, verse 3. He saved us. What does that mean? Does it mean that he saved us? Our lives of sinful rebellion against God were leading us to a terrible end. In this life, in this life, we traded the life, the good, the good life that God had planned for us. We traded it. The one that's full of good works and joyful obedience and fellowship with him. We traded it for the path that we wanted. One that served our selfish desires. Those of you who maybe came to Christ at a young age and you hear somebody's testimony like mine, you're like, I wish I had a story like that. No, you don't. God God can overcome all sorts of sin, but I tell you what, the things I look back on, I wasted so much time. And I missed out on so many good things. Now, for those of you who have a story like mine, I want you to know that the Lord can restore the years that the swarming locust has eaten. And he can use every single wicked thing that you ever did, and he can transform it and use it for good. He wastes nothing. But don't fall into the devil's trap of, oh, I wish I had a story. No. Praise God if you've missed out on many miseries. Because I traded so many of my years to serve the devil and whatever I wanted. And I just want you to know there's he don't pay well. That you don't only miss out on things in this life, but also in the life to come. Because if one dies, and they do not have their sins forgiven, and they step into eternity, and they stand before a holy God, and they try and pull that trick that everybody's like, oh, if, you know, I go to heaven because I'm a good person. Please, if that's you, if, like you, if somebody would ask you why you would go to heaven, and you'd be like, well, I'm a good person, please, just come up with a better answer. It's the worst answer. Because nobody is good compared to God. You might be good compared to me and most of the people in this room. Congratulations. But that's not how it's counted on the last day. On the last day, you stand next to a holy God who's never done anything but be good. And I promise you, no matter how good you've been down here, standing next to him, all have sinned and fall far short of his glory. And you and your self-righteousness will not stand before him. And his justice will rightly fall upon you. So please, don't get it twisted trying to say, oh, I'm better than all the hypocrites in this room. Well, okay, that's not, a big, that's not that great. Because we're all compared to God Almighty who is the glorious one. What did God save us from? From our sin, yes. From death, yes. From hell, yes. But supremely, God saves us from God. He saves us from himself. Because he is good, he will deal with evil, all of it. No evil will be left undealt with in in God's universe. He will bring justice. And it will either fall on Christ in your place or on you for eternity. And this is the reality that believers know. We are aware of that. That's why we sing songs, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. That's why we sing songs about grace, grace, marvelous grace. That's why we sing these songs filled with truths about Jesus. The next song we're going to sing, All I Have is Christ, it's because we believe that. Nobody struts into heaven with a resume of righteousness saying, hey, aren't you glad I'm here, God? And God's like, oh, man, you're really impressive. Nobody does that. Only Jesus has been perfectly Righteous. This captures the passage that we heard earlier, Ephesians 2. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the good news that we call gospel. Jesus came to save us. He lived a perfect life free from sin. He died the death we deserve. He rose from the dead. And now he stands ready and eager, full of benevolence, saying, mercy, mercy, mercy. And he calls us to hear that. And rather than hardening our hearts against it, to humble ourselves and to turn away from sin and to turn to Him and to believe. That's what He calls us to. He saved us, it says, verse 5, not because of works done by us in righteousness. His motivation in our salvation was not what we have done, rather, it's just the opposite. If he rewarded us for our righteousness, we'd be doomed because of the long list of sins that stain our record. But according to his own mercy, God's mercy motivated his movement toward us. He had pity on us. He saw they are in trouble. Mercy. Mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. Mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. What we do deserve is God to treat us according to our works, according to our deeds, and to give us judgment. But instead, mercy is when God does not give us what we deserve and instead of giving us judgment, he gave it to Jesus in our place and then he gives us Jesus' righteousness. And we now stand clothed in the righteousness of another, in robes we couldn't pay for, too expensive. The price is the blood of Christ, but he clothes us in that righteousness, and now we are trophies of mercy. That's what a Christian is. Listen, we live in a day where everybody cries out, justice, justice. We want justice. And there's a place for justice. Please, believe me, I'm not mocking justice, but I want you to know on that last day, everybody's going to cry for mercy, mercy. We do not want God to be fair with us. We want God to show us mercy. And it says he loves to give mercy. So no matter where you've been or what you've done, God's mercy is more. His grace is all sufficient. Verse 5, he saved us according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit washed us. We were defiled in our sin, unclean before a holy God. But the, the washing of the Holy Spirit is described here in, in two words, regeneration and renewal. The Spirit washes God's people, formerly just corrupted in sin. He, he snatches us and he washes us through regeneration and renewal. So regeneration is new life in Christ. Renewal is the new life of Christ. There's the new life in Christ where we're united with him by faith and we now, be, we're born again, we come to life. Renewal is now, he changes us. And we now live a life that looks like Jesus, increasingly so. Imperfect, but increasingly so. So regeneration is a sovereign work of God the Holy Spirit, of taking a dead sinner and uniting them to Jesus. Raising them from the dead to give them new life. It enables us to, to to see our sin, to, to turn from our sin, to believe upon Christ. It's all grace. We're, we're saved from the destruction that we, we were certainly heading toward. I'm going to tell a story of how this works. How does God's sovereignty and man's responsibility fit together? I love this story. My dad and his dad grew up hiking in the mountains of uh, Vermont and Maine. This story took place in. Vermont, they went hiking, they're going up, uh, and just as nightfall began to, to come after many hours of hiking, they came to this little cabin. So they go in the cabin, and they're, they're tuckered out, they're tired, so they lay down, go to sleep. They both wake up, it's 4 o'clock in the morning, they're wide awake, and they're like, I, let's just go, time to get hiking. So they get up, they get their stuff, they open the door, turn on the flashlight, and all of a sudden, nothing but fog. You know that kind of fog where you shine and you're like, wow, your, your headlights do no good, right? Well, their flashlight where that was like just super, super foggy. but They're like, listen, we're up, we might as well try it anyway. So they're going along, doing their best, following the path that's right in front of them. They've got the light going along. All of a sudden, after about an hour, they started to see a little bit of light on the horizon. So they said, you know what, we're, let's sit down, let's watch, this, let's watch the sunrise. So they, they sat down and as they sat there, Time begins to pass, and the sun gets brighter and brighter, and the fog begins to move because a a wind comes in. Brighter, brighter, fog moves away, and all of a sudden, they look down, and they realize they had sat on the edge of a thousand-foot cliff. Now, what do you think they did? They repented. They turned from the direction that they were going in their own wisdom following their heart as best as they knew how they turned from that way and they lived that's exactly how god's sovereignty and man's responsibility fits together the grace of god Through regeneration, the Holy Spirit moves in and shows the light of the glory of Christ and removes the obstacles of our blindness to sin, and we see the destiny that is before us if we keep going our own way, and we are compelled to turn away and to turn to Christ and to be saved. He says that's what a Christian is. It's a trophy of God's grace to where we just forever thank him. I would not be here. If I kept going my own way, I would be dead because I loved my sin and I was running after it. Jesus says this must happen for anybody who's going to enter the kingdom of heaven. John 3:3, truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus, this is Jesus, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this text, you might ask the same question that Nicodemus, who he was speaking to, saying, like, yo, how can somebody be born again? Not physically possible. That sounds. Jesus is like, right. I'm talking about something else. So when you come to something like that and you're like, I wonder what that means, there's a good question you should always ask. What's the question? Where is that in the Old Testament? Very good. Where is that in the Old Testament? Well, listen to this from Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 God giving the promise of the new covenant. He says, I will speak I will not do that. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. From all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's the promise of regeneration that Jesus is quoting. You wanna be part of the kingdom of heaven? You wanna to go to heaven? You've gotta be under the new covenant where your sins are forgiven and you are washed clean. You're born again by God's grace. He cleanses you with the blood of Christ through faith. He gives you a new heart that loves God, that hates sin, that loves others, that leads to the renewal of the Holy Spirit, the new life in Christ pr- produced by the Spirit. He changes our affections. This is one of the ways that I, I knew that I was a Christian. Because I came out of some crazy stuff. All, all of a sudden, because my whole life before had been about, like, how do I find as much sin as possible? Like, but that was my, my whole weekend plan was how can I sin as much as possible in the best way possible? This is going to be awesome. I get saved, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, I, I don't, I, I kind of want to do those things, but I really don't want to do those things. What's wrong with me? And my friends were like, dude, are you okay? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, I didn't know what had happened to me. And it's because God was, he was changing me. You you try not to sin. And when we do, it grieves us. And we flee to him for more mercy. Which is one of the reasons you understand that the gospel, the the grace of God is not just for non-believers. Christians continue to go more and more and more and more and more into debt to God's grace. Every breath you take, we become aware we still need him more. So we never get over this. He poured poured out his spirit on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Richly, like an abundant waterfall of mercy, like this treasure, treasure house that has no limits. He says, explore it, take it all, it's all yours. Just an observation here, the, the Trinitarian salvation, God the Father saved us by mercy poured out through Jesus Christ the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit's regenerating and renewing work. God saves us. Why does he do this saving work? Verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God does all this work for the purpose that in our justification, which is the legal standing, so when you trust in Christ, Christ's righteousness is credited to your account, your sin is credited to his account. It's called the great exchange. Jesus get what we deserve, we get what Jesus deserved, we now stand legally right before God because of what he did. That's justification. So that we might become heirs. We have a glorious inheritance. God says, I'm giving you all my stuff. Forevermore, you're going to come to my house. Jesus says, I'm building mansions right now for y'all so you can come to my house forevermore enjoying him with the hope of eternal life. God loves to save sinners. I'll tell you about one more. So about the same time that Dr. Jim started coming to our church, another gentleman who could not have been culturally more different than than Dr. Jim began attending as, as well. His name was Tony, Tony Gonzalez, not the former NFL tight end, um, his name was Tony Gonzalez. Tony came with his wife and his, his two children, and they sat in the back row. I can still see he sat in the same place, right under the clock, every single week, and he sat there. And he would stare. He would stare at me, like angry stare for the entire time. And then as soon as his sermon was over, he was, he was out the door. He would leave. He'd wait outside until his, his family came. This happened week after week after week after week. Uh, One time, I called him at the door. I said, "Hey, just want to let you know it's been great to have you here. I want to see if there's any questions." He goes, "No." I said, "Okay, here we go. Have a good day." So, a couple weeks later, I'm preaching and I look, and he's smiling at me. I'm like, "Okay." (laughs) It was. It wasn't a. It just. It was one of those really genuine, glowing sort of happy. I'm like, I don't know. Okay, this is, this is good news, I think. After service, he came up to me, and he said, can I come by your house this week? And I said, sure. So uh, it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday. Tony's truck rolled up. Um, I lived on a lake at that point, which is amazing. And uh, <laughs> so we went on the back porch, and we we're sitting out, we we're standing there talking. And uh, he looked at me and uh, he said, I don't really know what to say to you, but I need to tell you that the Jesus you've been talking about has done something to me. He says, I used to hate you. He said, I hated white people. I hated all white people. And I was in a church full of white people and I hated every minute of it. He goes, But there was something about the Jesus that you preached. And I saw that he loved me. And I saw as different as I felt than everybody else, I saw how different I was before him because I hated people. And I had sinned. And I don't know what happened to me, but I, I believe that he's forgiven me. And now, and he got these big tears in his eyes. because I don't know what to do because now I love everybody. <laughs> 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 and he, he looked at me and he goes, I love you, <laughs> and he goes, not in that way, in a very, like, I love you, like, friends, I was like, I know what you mean, he didn't, he'd never had these feelings before, and I uh, said, I love you too, man, I said, can I hug you, he's like, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> you know, he's got it, a couple weeks later, Carrie and I are on our first date, Um. I was not married the first few years I was a pastor, and uh, Tony calls me, and he's like, "Pastor, I need your help. I need your help. I need your help." I said, "Okay, what do you need? Anything, Tony?" He said, "I'm going to kill him." I said, "Okay, what's happening?" An older gentleman had spent time with one of his daughters, and it it had not it was not going well, and uh, found out she was pregnant, and he's like, "I'm going to kill him. I've got a gun." in my truck right now, and I'm going to find him. But I'm, I thought I was supposed to call you. It's my first date with Carrie. Um, so I told her, we just kind of knew what we were getting into. I was like, you're sign up for, babe? This is ministry, it's okay. She was ready, but. Um, so for the next 30 or 40 minutes, we just recounted what God had done for him. How God had been so patient with Tony. How God had sought Tony and loved him and how God had been changing his heart. And you could just hear on the phone him weeping and just, you could feel like he was just dying to himself. And I, he told me, he said, all right, I promise. And he put the gun in, the, in his glove box and he says, I won't use it. And I, I promise you, I won't hurt him. And he didn't. It was, it was God's mercy toward him and the other gentleman. A couple years passed, Tony became a deacon at the church. We at, well, no, no, no. We asked him if he'd be a deacon. And the, the day before the vote, he said, I need to talk to you. I said, okay. He said, I can't become a deacon. I said, okay, why? He said, all the years that I worked before this, he goes, I never paid taxes. He goes, I hated the white government and I didn't want to give them any of my money. He goes, but now I know I've, I've not obeyed God and I haven't paid my taxes, so I don't know what to do. I don't have money to pay these taxes that I know I owe, but I need to tell them that I owe them. And so we worked through that whole thing, and there were people who were generous to help him, and, it was, and he worked hard, and a whole, he repented, and then he became a deacon. And then he and Jim, the most unlikely of pairs, went on mission trips together, and Tony would translate for Jim while he was ministering to all these people. And then Tony got sick, and Tony died, and Tony went to heaven, and his funeral was filled with a bunch of unlikely people who came because they had seen something happen to a man who they only knew to be a man of hate, and they couldn't explain it, and they just wanted to hear one last time, who was this Jesus that had changed him? And I think a number of people came to get saved, or got saved even at that funeral. God loves to give mercy to unlikely people. He loves to give grace to sinners like you and to me, to your family and friends who you think are so far gone and could never come. So re- remember where you were, who you were, remember what God did, and then finally, remember now how to live in light of this, which we don't need to say much. It's like the only right response. saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. The gospel that he just reminded us of, he says, insist on it. State it with confidence and certainty so that people who have believed in God will live like they've met God. If you've met Jesus, your life is going to look different. And if it doesn't look different and you've truly known them, you're going to be miserable. So, so Christians who are abiding in sin is a sorrowful thing. The way I have confidence that they're actually Christians is they're totally miserable. Because the Spirit of God is, they're grieving the Spirit within them. Believers are supposed to reflect on the kindness and the goodness of God in Christ toward us. And it inspires us to be devoted to good works. He says, insist on these things. The reason, you got to insist on them, Sister Cheyenne Farmer this week was, was over the house, uh, uh, she and Cam, and um, she said, good works don't just happen. I thought it was so true, sister. Like, we need one another to remind each other, remember what Jesus did for you. Now let's live in light of that. And this is not just a call to better ethics and, and, and a new moralism. One of our, our kids and I were talking this week, at the end of the day, just kind of had really hard moment, kind of broke down a little bit, was angry. I was like, they had not acted kindly toward a sibling. And I, I asked them, I said, what, what was going on? Why would you do that? And, and they said, I tried so hard all day. I was loving and I was a servant and I tried and I tried and I tried and I just got tired. It was just really hard to love people. And I was like, bro, I feel that. <laughs> feel that. And that's where I just had the opportunity to say, This is where you've got to know the strength to love people does not come from yourself, it comes from grace. This is what we need Jesus for not just to pay for our sins, but to look to Him and say, God, these people are crazy. And I got to love them. But I was crazy, and you love me, so help me, please. We're debtors to grace. God's grace toward us gives strength. We remember God's goodness toward us and it moves us to show the goodness of God toward others. And this is why you need the church. So the application for today is spend time together and plot and plan together. How can we show good works to one another and to those that God has put around us so that the grace of God can be put on display Hebrews 10 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of sun, son, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day is coming when the Lord Jesus who came and who died and who rose and who went to glory is going to return soon and very soon. And between now and then, we're to fan one another's faith into flame and say, let us make Christ known through word and deed. And I just want you to know, if you're not a Christian, if you know yourself to, to not be believing all of this stuff, I just want you, I want you to please lay down your pride and flee to Jesus. He will forgive you no matter where you've been and He will change you. Do not trade the life, the good life that He has for you. And I'm not saying, listen, I going to be really clear, coming to Jesus does not fix all your problems. Coming to Jesus will not make you rich. People who tell you that Jesus wants you rich because you're a Christian lie to you. That is not true. You might get rich. But the only reason you got it is so you can give it. I'm not saying you can't enjoy nice things in this net, But the point is, coming to Jesus does not fix all your problems. But rather now, you've got a Savior who walks with you in the hard things and with you in the hard things. And he locks arms with other people to help lift you up so that you don't do it alone. Day by day until we see his face. So Delray Baptist, I remember who you were. And remember what God did for you in Christ. And now, let us remember how to live in light of the grace that he has shown us. Remembering God's goodness toward us inspires good works toward others. May God help us to live it out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would give many, many more stories of grace. Lord, thank you for the the stories of grace in this room. Countless ones. We say thank you and praise you. And Lord, we pray that you might set up divine appointments even this week, that we might herald the gospel, we might proclaim the good news of Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to help one another to to live in light of the grace that we've been shown. And Lord, pray for anybody who doesn't know you yet. Oh God, would you arrest them in their sin and draw them to Christ? And Lord, pray for believers in here who are stifled in good works, that they might not grieve the Spirit, but repent and lay down pride and obey. Oh God, give help. Give healing, put to death shame and regret and all of that, and help us to walk in the mercy that we've been shown. Father, we thank you that our boast is all we have is Christ. We pray it in his name.